He he doesn't just handwrite his lists. He actually no. types his lists. That's nice. And the level of preparedness that Brian brings to this is a little crazy. And that's that. I think it's fired. utterly. I think it's utterly admirable. Utterly oh, admirable. Oh, he, thank you. He's going to lose his guest privileges if he keeps coming this prepared. Ah. <laughs> uh, Yeah, so let's welcome the audience to uh, to mention in dispatches here. We're in season nine. Jim's been here since the beginning, uh, all the way back in season one, back in 2018, and and we can't keep him away. So welcome back, Jim. Hey, it's a pleasure always to be here. Good evening, at least nowadays. Sorry. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you being here, and uh, and and now that he's gotten the uh, the taste for podcasting and joining us here, Brian is back for more. And and way too prepared for this, man. I don't know what's going on with you, dude. Thank you for having me. I feel like the luckiest man in the world. We'll see if we can uh, we can cure that by the end of the show. So <laughs> you always do. So Brian came prepared with a list. I, I didn't fully come prepared with a list of stuff. However, uh, we did make it a point during the first episode that, that's already live as we are recording this, but we, we brought it up during episode two also that, that will be out by the time anybody else is hearing this. Hey, we wanted some listener suggestions. So rather than just us picking and choosing some things to cover over over the course of the season, we, we wanted some suggestions from you guys. Lo and behold, we're like one episode in. We're already getting some suggestions that seemed worth tackling. And, and so our buddy Adam, one of our Patreon supporters and a, a Dragoon stalwart and an occasional uh, Origins guest and gamer with us there as well, uh, threw out a fairly good idea that that's sort of a two-sided coin here that why don't you guys talk a little bit about games that replaced other games in your collection and why? And then the flip side of that coin is games that you've kept, even though you know there's some better implementations out there, you, even though you know there's, there's something that does that a little better, you still hung on to that game for probably nostalgia reasons um lord knows the three of us combined have a lot of those <laughs> so so if we're if we're talking about games that replaced other games in your collections i, I can think of two or three off the top of my head uh but jim i'm sure you've cycled through no shortage of napoleonic games among others can you give us an example of a game that has replaced something else in your collection and why yeah i you know napoleonic's it it will surprise no one that that's where my head went first when i was told that we were going to that we we're going to do this I am now, I, I spent a minute sort of filing in my head across my Calic shelf that is nothing but Napoleonic games. I would say probably the first one that comes to my mind is Close Action. Um, okay. Close Action is regarded as the advanced squad leader of naval games. It mm -hmm. is still played. It is still played regularly. In fact, I just saw Sebastian Bay. Uh, I think. I think. In fact, the author was teaching it yep. to some folks out there. And I want to be crystal clear. I think if that's what you're pursuing, if that's the level of detail you want, because the level of detail is nuts. The best way to play close action is you get twenty guys in a room, and each one is controlling one ship. OK, I, I want to be real clear. This is not uh, flying colors. This is not anything like that. Uh, truthfully, I think the game that has murdered it for me is flying colors. I think that that game with its still level of crunch, its level of simulation, but letting me play fleet actions by myself or with a, an opponent, I should say, is probably the best paper age of sale game i've got in my collection it's available in a deluxe uh third edition third i think from gmt that's sitting on my shelf that is filled with all the stuff 
that came with the expansions that came out in between, including a whole lot of ship lists, a whole lot of scenario lists. I, I, you know, I, I absolutely respect close action. I don't want to pretend it's not a good game if that's what you want. But for me, I want the cleanness. I want the fleet action. I want the command rules. I just think Flying Colors is the better game. GMT, Flying Colors. So is is close action pushed aside because it the the level of detail bogs it down or it's just um the the scale is different and you prefer the flying colors scale is it a graphical upgrade when you're talking about you know having 20 people each do one ship it sounds like there's just a plethora of detail around each ship that that you've got to really focus to manage each ship individually yeah i I use the phrase asl to describe it actually the better way to describe it it's starfleet battles okay (laughs) you've got a sheet out in front of you you're marking it up you're figuring out your windage you're figure out which way you're going and it flows it's not an ugly system I'm, it sounds like i'm down on it i'm not but to answer to answer your reasonable question i think it's both those things but they one comes from the other because it's built to be played that way when you try yourself to run that many ships like let's say i'm even trying to do a small battle like cape ortigal which is what seven on four what i'm running seven separate ships i'm tracking all that data i'm you know laying out all those crews and all those guns and all that windage it just it it it's burdensome it seems like work and it just bogs down whereas a game like flying colors manages it well so yes is it scale absolutely but part of the reason for that scale because anybody that loves close action will say well shoot we play trafalgar well yeah you do with 70 people and and the author running it you know (laughs) it's and it works great and i've done it i actually have played at historicon and and by the way i know and if you talk about graphical upgrades i know of nobody that plays flying colors just with the counters i just don't (laughs) <laughs> everybody paints everybody paints ships that's what we're doing here whereas so so it's not an up a graphical upgrade because most people i know who play flying colors strangely enough play with the counters huh. you know so it's it's kind of a weird inverse so aesthetically you know and i i'll tell you right now that if you go to historicon at some point he will run a game of flying colors or of uh, of close action on the floor some conference room, everybody walking around in their stocking feet and him with a laser pointer going, okay, who's got that one? Who's got that one? Who's got that one? And it's cool. It is so cool. But for me, just where I am and, and what I want and what I like, flying call. It, it almost sounds at that point like the the big event piece that you're talking about, like the Historicon game, it's as much the communal experience as it is that specific rule set that draws people to it. 100%. I... I I am sure, I'm sure that you will, you will get rage. You will get, what are you talking about? It's the most elegant rule system ever created for the age of sale. No, no, it is not. (laughs) Don't say that. I know you love it. You should always love it. I'm not trying to make you not love your gamers here. You're stupid for loving it. Don't tell yourself lies, okay? (laughs) Nagel's Flying Colors is a much more elegant system. Now, in fairness to Mike, he was responding to the classic wooden ships and iron men, which which bothered him in a measure, and he wanted, he thought, to fix it. Um, So, and, and in many ways, he did. So I don't know if he sees himself directly. And in fact, he speaks very, very highly of close action, as all of us do. But you'll hear people, but but your point is absolutely right. It is not a question of the, uh, it, it, it is the communal experience. I don't know many people who are like, oh, those rules, they're so beautiful, elegant, smooth. They're, no, no, that's just not it. 
I, I was going to ask sort of where Wooden Ships and Iron Man fit in comparison with those two, because I think for a lot of folks, that's the one they know just because that was the big Avalon Hill game that you could find in Toys R Us yep. years ago. And the lovely Bicentennial Edition, which sits on my shelf right next to Close Action and Flying Colors. Um, you know, there is no Flying Colors. I suspect there is no Close Action without Wooden Ships and Iron Man. It's where it all came from in terms of board game implementation. The bloodline of the miniature side is somewhat different, actually running through TSR, of all things, uh, and Heart of Oak. But from a board game side, it all comes from Wooden Ships and Iron Men. It's got an order system, much like we eventually see evolved in close action. It's got a lot of mechanics that look a little bit the same, but much like between squad leader and advanced squad leader, they metastasize, they explode. Yeah. And it's a, it's a radically different experience. And it really is even a bigger jump between wooden ships and close action than between squad leader and ASL. It's, a, it's even a bigger gap. But it is that is the well from which so many other games come. Yeah, I've not played close action. I think I've I've played a game of flying colors. Uh, Age of Sail is not my, my thing. We had wooden ships and iron men in the house when I was growing up. Dad was a war gamer. We, we had a copy of Wooden Ships and Iron Man. And, and it's funny because all the record keeping and, and bookkeeping involved in Wooden Ships and Iron Men um, kind of drove me nuts. Uh, especially as you were saying, Jim, you know, like you wanted to have these 10 on 10 battles out there and, and you realize that two thirds of your table is taken up with, you know, tracking sheets. Yep. And, and that kind of drives you nuts. But then yeah. fast forward seven years and you've got the exact same table covered up in the exact same amount of paper playing, you know, second edition battle tech and not batting it off. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fair. All right, Brian, what, what's something that has replaced or upgraded something in your collection? What's one that, that you shuffled on from and off to something else and why? Well, let's start off with nothing gets freaking replaced in this house. Uh, <laughs> I, I have uh, about six editions of World in Flames right in front of me here. I'm looking at them going, my God, what the hell was I thinking? But uh, as far as games go, let's see here. I'm thinking off the top of my head, okay, I used to love the Civil War game, American Civil War by Victory Games, okay? Nice. And I loved that for the longest period of time. And I pretty much foo-fooed all these card-driven games and area movement stuff. And, you know, it was below me because it didn't have hexes. And then I played For the People, and it changed my life. It was uh, – yeah, I, I, I just couldn't believe – you know, the word elegant gets thrown around way too much in our – you know – in our circles, but it, it was very elegant. I mean, just the way that it, it, it was simple to grasp. Naval was easy. Uh, area movement actually, you know, works excellent because, you know, most of the uh, war was through certain corridors, you know, because everything else was restricted by terrain. Yep. So you could, it just works fantastic. And with the uh, car driven system, it adds that randomness that you don't get a lot of times in other games. And it, it also adds flavor because of the cards, you know, with the events and so forth. So I just, I absolutely, that got me started on the uh, Mark Herman rabbit hole as far as, you know, for the people, Empire of the Sun, all that. So that, that's probably uh, the one that sticks out, you know, 
just looking at my game shelves right now here. Yeah. So, so the the change away from hexes and two area movement you liked you liked the change in the way naval the the naval campaigns were being dealt with and you thought that the card driven implementation um, sort of felt more accurate to you. Absolutely. The uh, the you know a lot of games overcomplicate like the whole uh, uh, river war and, and that that happened during the Civil War. This was pretty easy, you know. As long it just kind of used a path of movement, you know, if you had a, uh, if you own two ports, everything in between, you controlled, so to speak, and you didn't yeah. control control anything past that. So pretty simple. Uh, I actually uh, GMT's latest, the U.S. Civil War, I believe that's by Simitich. Not exactly, a hundred percent sure. Yep. Uh, I played that, and. I just, I kept saying to myself, I'm just not having as good a time as I have when I play for the people, you know, so. Totally, totally understand that. I, um, yeah, yeah, it's the, the same experience a lot of us had when we went from a mighty fortress to here I stand. Yeah. We went, wait a minute, we could have been doing this this way all along. Son of a. <laughs> right. The obvious one on my shelf, and I actually still have, I still have the original squad leader on my shelf. Um, it's like a fifth edition printing, but it's the original one. It's the one I started playing. I never really got too much beyond Cross of Iron. I certainly didn't get all the way to GI Anvil of Victory. And I think I've played two ASL scenarios in my life. Uh, but but part of that was while ASL was one of the few war games that was still relatively popular and in prominence um, through some of the late 80s and early aughts there as I was away from wargaming doing much more rpg stuff when i came back to wargaming lock and load tactical was out there and and i certainly went for lock and load tactical over asl uh in a heartbeat the 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 three things that really made a difference for me um first of all the graphical upgrade is is absolutely stunning the fact that mmp has never even tried to upgrade the graphics of the asl counters um it just sort of sort of bugs me on an aesthetic level Right. I, I get that if you change the size of the counters or the size of the maps, you've made everything from the past obsolete and you don't necessarily want to do that. And so I completely get not doing that. You can use more than two colors on the counters, guys. It's okay. It's okay. The world's not going to end. Um, I, I really, for uh, lock and load tactical, I really liked the hero mechanic that it wasn't just the leaders that you got in squad leader, that, that the hero mechanic and the individuals that sort of become the characters in the story that you tell about the battle were able to be present in the game. And I think that, that to me makes it feel more narrative. And, and I like that kind of feel at that level. Uh, when, when you're down at the, the squad and half squad level, I think the narrative makes a difference. And, and I really enjoy that. Uh, I also felt like combat flowed a lot quicker and a lot more reasonably in lock and load tactical than it does in squad leader. The caveat to that, and it applies to both games. As soon as you put a tank on the map, any pretense at elegance in combat goes out the window. Uh, there's just too many different things to have to account for with the tanks on the map at that point. And, you know, the, the loader's machine gun that's out his hatch, like what area can that actually cover? And what does that do to the exposure of the gunner for being shot or the loader for being shot at when he's got his head out the hatch over there like at, at that point all 
all of the additional considerations you have to deal with um, almost make it too much of a headache to even put a tank on the map. And it starts to make the combat commander look, guys look smarter for not having tanks in their game. Um, but but well, I think for me, lock and load tactical replace squad leader for sure. I, I will I will die not understanding gamers on this topic. In 1995, Artie Conliffe, he who wrote Shaco and Tactica and Spearhead and quite a few other games, put got challenged at a Historicon to write a game, a World War II infantry game without rulers or turn sequence. Okay. And he came up with Crossfire. Which you guys have played the hell out of. Um, we have played a bunch of it on Saturday Night Live. And in fact, I've got an interesting proposal in front of said Sebastian Bay for something really cool with the Georgetown group. But that's that's telling right now. Um, <laughs> and the one thing he says in the rule book, this is not a game about armor. This is a game about okay. infantry, infantry tactics. It, armor is in a secondary supporting role and should be limited if used at all. And for some reason, gamers went, but Artie, we want tanks. Yeah. And then when they used the tanks and they didn't quite work the way they thought they should, they said the rules sucked. Yeah. And for this reason, and this is not a joke, Artie refuses to revise his rules. Artie is not issuing rules. He's sick and tired of gamers. <laughs> I, everybody I read say he just doesn't talk to people anymore because he's sick of us. I'd be sick of us too. I told you I don't do tanks. This set of rules was not written for tanks. You insisted, so I gave you a couple throwaway rules, and now you're mad at me. Yeah, yeah. And I would say the exact same thing about Squad Leader, to your point, and I agree with your point about Lock and Load. I love Squad Leader. Who doesn't? Come on. But but Lock and Load Tactical is such a beautiful game, especially you. I don't know. Did you even mention the Mega Hexes? Uh, I did not. Which are awesome. They, they are awesome. And so the thing with, with Lock and Load Tactical, the Mega Hexes are very awesome. That's not an out-of-the-box piece of it that's certainly a, a valuable and and, and important available upgrade but it's not if you don't have them you're wrong go on <laughs> but they're not out of the box like if i go if i walk into the store and i buy the squad leader box and i buy the lock you know asl starter kit two and I go buy one of the Lock and Low Tactical, you know, Heroes of boxes. Everything I need to play is in either one of those boxes. And sure. the Mega Hexes are not in one of those boxes. You don't need them to play. They certainly make it a whole lot more enjoyable. Yeah. So, no, to your, and I was merely making a point to your comment about aesthetics. Yes. You know, it's just so much more aesthetically cool. But it's like both games, both games, I think just people fuss. And my God, when you get to ASL and you start to mess around with tanks, it's like, what? I, I, I can go to the dentist if I want this much suffering. Yeah. <laughs> may, may I interject? <laughs> Lay it on the, us. The Combat Commander series kind of went through the same thing. I have never played the game, mind you, but I, you know, it, it, it was originally designed around nothing but infantry combat. And the uh, designer who just passed away a couple of years ago, I forget what his name is. Chad Jensen. That, there you go. He never was really fond of bringing tanks into the game. Matter of fact, I'm, they're barely in it at all. I believe you have to get a certain module in order I to don't even think bring them in. I don't think there's any tanks in Combat Commander. I could be wrong, and somebody will correct us in the comments. Chad designed other games of a similar scale that did include tanks, like the yeah. Fighting Formations series. Right. But I don't ever recall a single tank in a Combat Commander game anywhere. Yeah, I think it's a, one of the modules. I don't know, like Sea Lion or some crap like that. I think they uh, he brought it just in for that. And it wasn't overly complex or anything, but... 
Uh, yeah, so that I'm, I'm of the thinking that tanks, if you're having that level of combat, tanks were rarely not involved in that type of combat. Uh, you're, there was always one hanging around, usually, you know, with the infantry armor teams. I mean, going back to World War II, they had the same thing. Yeah. So I... I see what people are trying to do. It's very hard to simulate tanks and infantry together at that level, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I think this is the point where we should remind anybody in the audience that, that had forgotten or the new folks that didn't already know. Both Brian and I are tankers. It's kind of attracting tankers. Yeah. So Jim Jim is on a podcast with the uh the the you know slightly overweight out of shape, you know, late 40s early 50s blonde heavy metal fan who used to be a tanker, lived in Germany and now lives in North Hills and Brian. Um, <laughs> because every one of those descriptors fits both of us. <laughs> Pretty much. We're just in two different North Hills sections of two different towns. Both of those descriptors apply perfectly to both of us. Jim, we didn't book twins on the on, on the call for you here. Sorry, uh, but you did have a pair of tankers both join you. So when yeah. Brian talks about having you know wanting some tanks in the infantry game, uh, look, it's both of us wanting to just drive tanks around, and blow shit up. And the answer to your question is yes. Once again, I, I will not understand this. Combat Commander Battle Pack 5, Fall of the West, includes abstract rules for tanks. There you go. Just, okay. just because people wouldn't knock it off. <laughs> I, I'm curious, is that one that Chad actually designed, or is that oh. one that was designed by somebody else after Chad passed away? It's not after his death, but it's not his. It's 2013, so he's... Okay, a, okay so it was a while ago. Brian Collars and a John Foley. And, okay. and everything I had read from Chad was that he just didn't... He's, he's like, once again, I didn't... Why are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I, I understand if you want to play a tank game, there's good tank games. Go play them. GMT makes them. Yes. You know, yeah. go, you're go not play taking sales away from the company by telling people to go play good tank games. Yeah, right. It's it's I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. You know, play fighting formations. Play pan, Panzer, I guess. Play Panzer Blitz. I don't care. Play tank duel. Yeah. Play tank duel. Yes. I'm not making that game. Yeah. But then again, it's the circle of life. Should those tank games have infantry in them? Of course they should. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Hey, look, they put infantry in battle tech. They can put it in a regular tank. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't, don't, oh, don't make me angry. <laughs> the first time I ever picked up a Ralpartha base with infantry on it, not elementals, but infantry. Yes. I went, I'm sorry, what? Sorry. I uh, I used the counters that came in the city tech game. Oh sure, that's that's what we used. No, I was I was the one guy. I I'd gotten a reputation because of all the Napoleonics I'd painted. All my battle tech friends knew I would paint up their stuff fairly quickly. You know, come on, we've all painted a mech, right? You give yeah. them a dry brush, you know, you, you give them a base coat, give them a dry brush, throw a little detailing on it, and you're done. And so that's what I was doing. A dude handed me a box of the Ralparthas with that hex base and the infantry. And I'm like, you are kidding me. <laughs> 
the thing we used to do with some of the mechs was we'd get a, a quick spray coat on them yeah. and uh usually a a, a a kind of a lighter gray or or white and then we would go back and uh and and just detail some of the big areas you know like we on the warhammer ones we'd we'd paint the the arm guns a different color or something like that and then after that because they were large enough to do this with you'd get out a fine point sharpie and start drawing detail on them at that point. oh yeah sure cool. that was that was so much easier than having to deal with a paintbrush you'd start drawing like unit insignia or you know yeah. you draw some corporal stripes on it with a sharpie just call it good enough and it, it it looked fine at that point right when you're when you're you know 14 15 years old that's good enough and yep. uh, it's good enough for the lunchtime game at high school you know as the armchair dragoons march into the ninth season of their podcast mentioned in dispatches we need to make time to thank our Patreon supporters who pledged at the regimental patron level. So a heartfelt thanks to Patrick Garrity, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knoll, Hethwell Wargames, Robert, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell, Treb Curry, Staggerwing, and Patrick Mullen for their support of the Armchair Dragoons and helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com armchairdragoons. Jim, is there something else before we move off of the topic of games that replaced something else in your in in your collection? Is there another one that you can think of that you know? Hey, this is this is what I had, and here's one that replaced it, and I'm happy to have the new one. Okay, I'm going straight after Artie on this one. Oh boy, our du- our dude, our dude, the mighty one, he that is the Grognard of the year. Um, you know, he, he, he of this, you know, aircraft carrier size watt viewership on his YouTube channel, much, I know where you're going with this too, much deserved. (laughs) He, he was gleeful, gleeful in his acquisition of La Bataille de Mont Saint-Jean. I'm so glad we're not on video right now. (laughs) You know, he was gleeful with that. And I was like, I felt like I was looking at the kid that got the Red Ryder BB gun at Christmas. And then shot his eye out. Yeah, I guess like, what are you? And my first thing was, my first thing was, what are you doing? You know, he knows he's way too smart. He knows that this is a game for which there, I think by last printing, 78 rule sets. (laughs) The great thing about this. So you... On a previous podcast with you and me and him, we've made fun of yes of the rules you playing. But beyond yes. that, just this past April at Buckeye Game Fest, <laughs> Gary and I were sitting there with like three other people. I think Todd was hanging out there with us. The the guys from uh uh from from Song for War were hanging out there with us, and we were watching the dudes at the Labat table have this existential crisis. <laughs> doctrinal argument about the rules for like 45 (laughs) minutes about what is the meaning of the word is (laughs) and after all of that was done and they finally came to the conclusion they were just not going to agree the dude who was trying to do something decided not to do the thing they were arguing about in the first place (laughs) (sighs) so it's it's, it's not like there hasn't been recent reinforcement of the silliness of this yeah i i it's it's 
first of all, first of all, it is when you see a Labatt game spread out on a table and all the little counters and all the other things, you should have two reactions if you are a proper Napoleonic nerd, which I am. Number one, <laughs> oh, that is so cool. That looks really great. Look at that map. That's, Look what, at I was, that. that's what I was going to say. It looks beautiful, though. Oh, it's Look gorgeous. at that map. Look at it and study it. Get down in there and look at the insane level of detail that went into Oh my God! Look at that ditch. Because well, it's it's kind of like when you when you deal with Kevin Zucker, right? If there's a ditch on his map, that ditch was there. He'll yeah. fight you. He'll fight you. <laughs> you know, don't don't play with Kevin. Don't play with the guys that design this stuff. I no, mad respect. Come on. And the counters, oh, so neat and colorful and calligraphied, and oh, they're cool. And the second reaction is, oh, hell no. I'm not doing this. I am not deciding which rules that I'm playing with. I'm not deciding what house rules within the rules you're going to play. Because you said, oh, you know, I'm playing the Marie Louise, but these rules of the year 21 are really good. And I particularly like 72-3R, which is no, 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 no. I have chosen, and I understand the limitations, and I respect the differences, but the John Tiller, now Wargame Design Group, those folks that have bought the Tiller games and brought them under their very caring, very loving hands, play those on your computer. Hold on, I'm calling foul here. You're not repla- you're, you're replacing it with a computer game. That's not I allowed. Am. That's oh, not it allowed. Is, it's, it, is the, it is the, first of all, Tiller was basing what he was doing on Labatt. You can see it. <laughs> you can see it. Well, it's the same. You can actually read the counters on a tiller game. A good point. You can. And you can look over on the side and determine how many casualties there are. Yeah. And the formations and all the other deficiencies of Labatt. And not only that, but the guys at the War Game Development Center are constantly evolving the game to create a better rule set to deal with some of the idiosyncrasies of the older systems. Right. And they're and they're you know they're doing all these things. They're doing graphical upgrades. It's insane. I never need the 3D look. Don't ever, guys. I I love you. I have played. It's I think it's a known thing here. I have play tested for them for years. I tell them all the time. Don't you ever show me 3D graphics in those games. You guys can't do them. Stop. <laughs> well, they can't. We had this discussion before when Talonsoft did them. Yes, I, they were beautiful. They haven't yeah. been good since then. Right, exactly. So please, just for the love of God, stop. Give me the counters. They're great. Stay in your the, lane. <laughs> they, stay in your lane. The counters in the Talonsoft ones actually kind of sucked mm-hmm. because they wanted to show you the pretty 3D ones because that was their lane, right? Yeah. So until you get that back, until you do, we're going over here and we're going to play JTS. You want to play Waterloo? I will give you the whole freaking campaign. It will adjudicate the rules so there's no arguing. Well, and that's, that that's where you you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to side with Brian on this one here a little bit. You're, you're cheating by using the the computer game as the replacement because when the computer is adjudicating for you, you don't get to argue with it. Cheater. <laughs> I, I I have come I have come to a conclusion. I was uh, I was listening to a number of podcasts talk, and this, by the way, is sort of my meta theory on this. And I and I hope we are ready to embrace this fact. I was listening to a number of podcasts talk about board game apps, okay, and talking about which ones are the best board game apps to help you run. The, and every single one of them, everybody seems to agree, and I would certainly agree, that two of the best are for the board game Root, which I love, 
okay? Mm -hmm. And the board game Scythe, which is okay, but I think it lies. It tells me <laughs> it's a war game and it's a worker placement game that has mechs in it. Yes. I don't ever remember somebody trying to sell Scythe as a as a war game. I know the art pit the art pitches it that way. Really? Because I, I know we have we have covered it off and on over the years as hey, this is a really cool game. And it but, is. But we've always couched it as a strategy game, not okay. a war game. All right. Again, not not to splice hairs around, you know, the definition of a war game or anything. Thing. we've done it that. looks like a war game but, that's that's kind of my point yeah. yeah yeah but but that's uh and i'm not slagging it in any way yeah. I, I think it's a great game for what it is you know i just yeah. it, it lies only insofar as i sat down and i thought i was going to be rompy stomping max all over a weird early 20th century battlefield and there are going to be legions laying bleeding it no it's nothing like that in fact you don't want to fight in that game if you can avoid it yeah <laughs> you, you know, it's a really bad idea now so and that's the only thing i have with it the only point I was raising with both Root and Scythe, which I can't recommend highly enough, is that their apps are magnificent. Okay. I don't see any reason to ever play the board game with either again. Hmm. Without them, you mean? Without, no, no, I'm saying you can play Root online on Steam. Oh, okay. You can play Root on your iPad. You can play Scythe on your iPad. You can play Scythe on Steam. I don't know why I would ever go back. I got and, these, and these podcasts I was listening to, although they didn't want to admit it because they were covering the board game industry, they were all saying, yeah, you know, pulling it down and setting it up and re reading the rules and re referencing the rules and then putting it away. Gosh, it's great to play it on the app. Well, then just say it. It's yeah. better than the physical board game. I am absolutely there with Seven Wonders. The app for <laughs> Seven Wonders, I can play an entire game in the time it takes you to find and shuffle all the first age cards there you yep. go right and, and because the the each age deck there's there's three ages in the game so three rounds around the table and and each deck has the cards but, but they're marked at the bottom for how many players you need and so if you played a six player game last time you only got a four player game this time you got to go back out and take out all the fives and sixes that, yeah. that are marked on those cards i can play an entire game on my phone or my tablet in the time it takes you to find and then shuffle those cards so yeah and so and so with Labat, it's it's over. It, it's done. I, when you were saying apps for the games, I thought you meant like assistance. Both. Uh, it's it's certainly know, for, both for sort of calculating scoring and yeah. Uh, but no, I, I mean full on. Way. I'm in this case. It, they were just they met. They were talking about both because, for example, there are uh, crime games now. Uh, which one of the Thulu games from Fantasy Flight is app driven now? Uh, Mansions of Mister Mansions Man of Madness. Mansion of Madness. That's it. Yeah. You know, it's run by app. That is, but but that you know, you you're talking about a spectrum, right? You're right. Um, Ogre, the designer edition, yes. has an app you can download for free. That let just all it does is it calculates odds and then rolls dice for you. <laughs> And by the way, I will never do, I will never play without it. Because all you do is you say, this one is attacking this one. Odds, roll, done. We're done. It makes the game 20% faster. I'm not kidding. Um, all the way from that through Mansions of Madness, things like that, all the way to things that are basically the same game, Root, Scythe, and I will argue Labat, <laughs> except they're being done on a PC. It's an excellent way to uh, learn to play games as well. I, that's what I've oh, uh, pretty much yeah. used them for. Because sometimes you still want to break out the board game, you know, in a social setting. And first thing I do, though, I Ticket to Ride is a good example. I learned before I even bought the game, I learned to play it, you know, using yeah. the app. And, uh, you know, once I actually started playing it, the board version it was very easy. So, you know, 
Yep. I don't know. Totally get it. There have been a couple of things that I've learned through the app that, that you know, I've I've then sat down and played with folks around a table. Uh, there's several Dominion expansions. I've never actually played with the physical cards, but I've been playing with on my phone for years. Right. So, sure. So I'm, oh, I'm totally down for that. It, Jim, it, it, it feels like you're cheating a little bit by saying that you've replaced the Labatt board games with the JTS computer games, but I get your point. I, I totally understand the point you're making and, and the argument and the way in which you have supported it. And, and so, you know, this is where we'll insert the, the Ken Yong, the Ken Jong gif of I'll allow it. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll tuck that in here. Well, you know what? Me and Jim had talked before about Blood Bowl and how I have oh, yeah. never, I never yeah. played the board version of Blood Bowl. No. And after playing Blood Bowl on a computer, I can't freaking fathom playing Blood Bowl, you know, on a tabletop with all it's the dice rolls. Because I've only ever played Blood Bowl on a tabletop. See, I, and, and Brian is actually beating me here because that's actually even a better example. That is, <laughs> that Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl on the tabletop now strikes me as suffering. <laughs> Now, now it's it. It is. I heard one reviewer say I was told this was going to be a game about orcs punching humans and elves leaping to victory and chaos warriors smashing, and it wound up being okay. Roll a five. Roll a six. <laughs> roll a three. Okay, you're pushed that way. Wait a minute. You push him. You push him. You what? What about if he pushes him? And you, you can't imagine how complex those pushing sequences are when you get into a scrum. Yep. Whereas the computer goes click okay we're done move on next turn and in fact it's so fast that when we played in the armchair dragoons the emperor's other hat tournament uh when we did that it took we were playing with two minute turns mm -hmm. you had two minutes to make all your moves if you've played blood bowl for real you know that literally isn't possible no no it takes you two minutes just to figure out all the dice you need to roll yeah so so yeah and it there, there comes a time, and I think Brian's example is excellent. A game like Ticket to Ride, a game like one of my favorite, I think it is still the first social deduction game, Lord of the Rings, or a cooperative game, I'm sorry, uh, Lord of the Rings by Reiner Knizia. Some of those games, because they are simple, because they're light and they have a light footprint and they're very social, they, they do come down and they do get played. But as more and more of these games get absorbed into the digital space, you're going to, I just think the argument that you shouldn't play them if you can on a, on a computer are funny. Yeah. Yep. You yep. just, you just can't make it. And so it even, I guess to make my confession came, I, I was sitting down some years ago playing uh, Yena, the battle of Yena on JTS with a friend and we were doing it online. We we're exchanging PBEM turns. And I sent him an email that went, why would I ever set up Labatic? You know, and, and he just let me, and he responded. I don't know, because you're sometimes an idiot. <laughs> and I went, well, guilty as charged. Um, so, yeah, uh, unfortunately. And look, I am not disrespecting the art, the effort, the research. It's such, it's a masterpiece of the form. I ain't never going back. Yeah, yeah. And I own them. I own, I think the, I think the last one I bought was Mon the new edition of Mont Saint-Jean. Um, yeah, no. Not doing it. Yeah, I, I think it's the that's one of those cases that it is very much a throwback to the late 60s, early 70s era of hey, let's start a game company because we got a cool game we want to do something with. And and it's it's players publishing games, yeah. Not a professional design organization. And and that that sounds like it's much more overly harsh and critical than I intend for it to be. Um because also, that's, I, that's I, where I, I, I came I, from. I also think it's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know. 
I also, I, I think you're exactly right. So be yeah. that as it may. But yeah, I mean, that that's where our hobby came from. So I don't want to slag that. But the expectations today are for a, a higher level of professionalism in its organization and continuity and presentation. And, and the idea that you would have and continue to maintain and just continue to reprint as needed five different versions of the rules. You know, let's unify these things, guys. Somehow, some way, the, the technology and capability exists. Go throw 500 bucks at a couple of college kids to sit there and deconflict all of your rule sets and create the one master rule book and just call it good enough. But just um, just for the ra- not that we're going to go down that rabbit hole because God knows we don't have six weeks. But you've also got to give those college students sufficient authority to knock heads together and get these guys to stop fighting with each other. Well, yeah. And which I, <laughs> it, it, a task in which I wish you well. At that point, just subcontract to Judge Judy. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, I would be riveted to the screen. I want to go to I want to go to three point five R one and talk about you know the reforming of emus. Do you believe a? Oh my God. <laughs> well, you know what? It, on my list here, you know I came prepared. I do have uh, on my notes here uh, under PC games. Mark McLaughlin's uh, War and Peace is coming out. Uh, they're going to make that into a uh, digital uh, game. Oh, for uh, the love of Christ. And, yeah, and yeah. incidentally, by the time this recording goes live, friend of the Dragoons, Peter Robbins, he of the Kriegsmarine AAR and the Regiment's First Impressions article for us, uh, will have live-streamed his interview with the guys that are working on the War and Peace digital adaptation. So uh, we will have that, that. That is linked in this article down below. So... You can go take a look at Peter's interview with those guys. Um, Peter's a blast because Peter just calls people up and says, hey, I want to do a show with you guys on YouTube. And they're like, all right, sure. He's had Bond and Carlson on like a half a dozen times about different stuff. Um, just because he calls them up and just says, hey, you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I I want, the re- I want my statements to be understood correctly because I've had a bad time with that today. <laughs> number Number one. <laughs> I wish those guys nothing but well. Number two, I will believe this when I see it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's out there. I mean, it look it's going to happen. Uh, I don't no, know. No, no. You, they, no, no, they have art. No, no, they actually have gameplay video. Uh huh. Uh huh. How's that AI working out for them? Well, hold, yeah, that's the caveat right there. <laughs> because they're not supporting multiplayer. Really? Look at the look at the Steam page. Oh. Yeah. Which is the part that drives Jim up a wall. Oh, it's insane. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's it's like, now they say they're going to support remote play, which is okay, but not to have multiplayer out of the box, your your AI is going to suck. Your AI is going to well, suck. Well, I'm so, thinking it is as well, but... At this, at point, point, Jim at this is, point, you haven't released a game. Yeah. At, at this point, what Jim is doing is he's lining up a tabletop simulator session for the War and Peace campaign game. <laughs> <laughs> like six dudes to jump in and it'll take them five weeks to play it on Saturday nights. Yeah, well, and, and unfortunately, and I look, Mark and I have talked. I mean, I, I love War and Peace, the original by Avalon Hill. The scenarios in it is, I've gone on record, is one of the greatest war games ever made. It, it is it's absolutely in my top 10 all time. The um, campaign scenario. The no, no, the campaign no, scenario. The, the, <laughs> the campaign is broken. The scenarios, yeah. the scenarios are sheer genius. Okay, oh, gotcha. You know, play them all. In fact, they bear replaying. Even Austerlitz does. People, you know, go back, read the old generals. They bear, re- they bear replaying. It's never been replaced. And frankly, as gorgeous as the new edition is, as cool as the new edition is, they still really haven't, according to what I'm reading. No, I don't know this, but I'm reading it. They still haven't fixed the grand campaign. Right. Is so- it? 
is it fixable? I guess is the big question. Oh, I think anything is. I think any, it's just how much you're going to do. It's it's kind of like when Martin Wallace grabbed Conquest of the Empire by the throat and said, "Here's here's the game that Milton Bradley issued back in the '80s that you all fell in love with and was ultimately broken because of what Cavalry could do. And here's this worker placement game I'm going to design that has that same branding. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you, can, you can do a lot of things that way. I I don't know. And and like I say, I. I sincerely wish them nothing but the best. I have already put it on my wish list. I'm going to buy the damn thing. How can I not? Of course. But I, I, I look at it like, oh, no multiplayer, and your AI is going to blow. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, Brian, do you have anything else that's that's replaced something in your collection? Just well, kind of wrap around the, the table here. I have a non-war game uh, that I'm thinking of. Uh, okay. Lord of the Rings uh, card game by uh, Fantasy Flight. When that first came out, absolutely loved it uh the thing is you realize i mean it's very thematic but you realize you're playing a card game you know there it's how should i put it it's pokemon but it's lord of the rings at the same time (laughs) now hold on though just to clarify you're talking the living card game yes get all the cards out of the box yes it's a pokemon comparison i just wanted to make sure that we had the the right frame of reference for the audience because there was an old uh, mid nineties collectible card game. Yeah, the, yeah. It was the middle earth, the wizards game. I've still got like four decks up here. I can't find anybody to give them to. And I Pokemon's really not a good example. I mean, you can play it solo. Uh, it's a very good game, but it is a card game. Okay. Maybe you want to compare it to gin rummy or something like that. I don't know. But uh, along came uh, the Arkham horror living card game. And that blew my mind. Because, and how, how, why they haven't made this into like a Dungeons and Dragons type style game, I don't know. Because one of the things about it is you're using cards to show locations and you're using tokens to show your characters. So you're basically, you know, you're using, you have a map that you're moving along. And at the same time, you're, you're making decks kind of like building a character in Dungeons and Dragons by, you know, what cards you're getting. So, like I said, I think it would be great as like a dungeon crawling type campaign game. So, three things here. One, uh, that that kind of sort of existed as you're describing it with the... um, uh, the Dungeoneer card game from the, the mid-aughts that was carried by Atlas slash Steve Jackson is where I always found them at, at the game conventions. But the Dungeoneer card game is that where you are sort of building your, your location, your sort of dungeon crawl out of the, the card deck and everybody's sort of kind of on their own crawling through there. So you are in, in munchkin fashion, you are either playing some cards to help yourself or you are playing your your sort of danger cards on your opponents. Um, but that dungeon crawl thing does kind of exist. The the one the part that you're talking about though, in terms of building your character by what you acquire for your deck, that is the card hunter game on the computer. That is exactly what that is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Card Hunter at this point is going on almost 10 years old. It is no longer browser playable. The guys that bought it, the Knights of Unity dudes that bought it, have re-released it as a Steam game. That said, the implementation is a perfect recreation of the original game. They, they've they added the hokey, you know, craft some new items kind of BS to it because some people just couldn't acquire all the cool stuff they wanted. They weren't willing to grind through it, so they, they've built this crafting mechanic into it now that right. didn't exist in the old browser version. But that whole build 
build your character through which cards you collect. That is Card Hunter. The third yep. thing is what you're describing about why don't they have a D&D version of this? That's the Pathfinder Adventure card game. Well, no, I see I have that as well. Uh that game I don't like that game because it almost plays itself. Uh <laughs> you're, that's, a fair, that's a fair criticism. Uh you're not making a whole lot of decisions as as far as that. Uh not my and, cup of tea. And if, if you don't like that on the tabletop, stay way away from the, the computer implementation of the Pathfinder card game. Right. And the uh, Arkham Horror one, at the say you finish a scenario, you get experience points at the end of the scenario. You can use those experience points to upgrade your cards. You know, you'll have the same card name, but it'll be an upgraded version, you know. So I, I really enjoy it from that aspect. Plus, it's solo. Uh, play uh you can play one player and two two players is best i play two player but solo so i really i can't get enough of that game best card game i've ever played yeah uh, so, wait well well that i have to hear what are you talking about now the best Ark- one you've ever played arkham horror living arkham card horror game. okay got it yep got it yeah the best card game he's ever played plus the themes that they come up with i mean you got your generic fantasy flight themes but some of them that take you you know to venice you know arkham itself whatever misotonic museum uh there's ones in the jungle all that stuff i love it <laughs> yeah fantasy flights never had an issue with some of the the creative idea stuff that they've got even most of their execution has been pretty good some of their packaging and physical component decisions have been a little head scratching over the years the biggest thing you've got now with fantasy flight is who the hell still works there like after asmodee bought them they like laid off two-thirds of everybody that actually mattered there and then like a couple of those dudes some of the more prominent names you know got on twitter and went batshit crazy and the ones (laughs) the ones that didn't have just disappeared it's like they're in the witness protection program or something and and asmodee's got a handful of freelancers they'll pay to show up at conventions and pretend to be fantasy flight but like the people you used to talk to that you could reliably see year after year after year at conventions and have a beer with and like have a chat with and whatever like those dudes are all gone and have been gone since asmodee bought the place well they're not nearly as prolific as they were just well, yeah because, four years ago because because the buyout because asmodee shit can't well and 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 along the way they bled ip they don't. Yeah. They they own none of those IPs that they used right. to have. Most notably, Star Wars and Warhammer. Yeah, yeah. Well, they still have the yeah. Star Wars one, don't they? I don't think they own all of it. I don't think Fantasy Flight does. Asmodee might. Asmodee might. Yeah, because I th- I don't think they're going to get. I don't think they're going to give that to Fantasy Flight anymore. Yeah, and I don't know that. Well, there's nobody left there to give it to. Uh, right, right, right. To your yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I don't I know that anybody ever admitted this publicly, but I would suspect that the Asmodee buyout had more to do with the license agreements. The Fantasy. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I think that's been said. Buyout. Isn't it? That they were trying I, I to that, that, that they, I don't ever they recall it being explicitly said. But. Well, what was the Star Wars game they just came out? Well, not, not just within the past two years, the Outer Rim, uh, I believe it is. Well, they had the they they had the the Star Wars RPG, and they had the Attack Wing game. That was the, uh, you know, the the fleet action. It was Harpoon in Space. Um, right. That, so they had that out there for a while. Um, well, the Outer it, Rim sp- is supposed to be fantastic, and they just released a uh, expansion to it this year. So yeah. they must have something still going with Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. I certainly don't. But I, I suspect all that work is being done 
at Asmo Day HQ and being farmed right. out for fantasy flight for an imprint. Yeah, no, but Outer Rim is I won't say that it's been uniformly embraced, but it's it's been well regarded. Yeah. Yes. You know, it certainly didn't get the love that uh Rebellion got, which I still say is probably the best. I'd have to think just for a second, but I think it's the best fantasy flight game I own. Yeah. Oh, I have that. I've never played it. Star it's, Wars Rebellion it, is one of the most universally beloved Star Wars board games of the last 25 years, easily. Yeah, it's it's it it seriously it's not a four-player game. It's a two-player game. Don't play it with four players. That's a lie. Um, but uh, playing it with two players, there it is. It's such a it's such a stupid cliche, but it's just true. It's like you're playing a Star Wars movie. Yeah. When I, I, it's one of those rare games where I felt like I was Darth Vader or the Emperor, going, "Where are you, bastards? <laughs> I will find you." And it was so. I remember one time I was playing with my son. He was so upset. I captured Princess Leia, and he was so mad. It was so satisfying <laughs> to go, "Oh, I'm going to find out this. Come and get her." And sure enough, he sent. Because I think he was just mad at me. He sent people to rescue her. <laughs> I like that's you don't get that too much in a game. That's pretty special. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I I really do enjoy that game. So but anyway, yeah, no, that 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 one I've heard I, I the living the best card game I have ever played. Other than the Eternal Games of Sheep's Head I played all through high school. Um, yeah, I'd, pro- I'd probably have to give that to Upfront, but that's another whole bitter story. <laughs> We've heard this one. Yes, you have. No, the, there's nothing wrong with the card game at all. It's, what? it's what's happening. Say, say your filthy words. <laughs> I'm, I'm staying away from it. All no, right. no, Bo- Boyer's making trouble over there. Let's, let's flip the script here a little bit before we we get off onto Brian's you know prepared typewritten in triplicate notarized by the chaplain. Um, Jim, I'm sure you've got something in your collection that you've hung on to in spite of better implementations being out there uh, because we've no doubt talked about them on previous podcasts. Which one are you going to admit to? Uh, SPI Thirty Years War Club. Okay, <laughs> detergent box edition. So what um, out there is is has replaced it the, mus- the, the musket the and pikes the musket and pike series Ben Hall's musket and pike series is is a masterclass it's uh it's a little more it's certainly more complex let me be clear about that but it, it as a representation of the type of warfare we're talking look the thirty years war except Nordlingen which is bad but the thirty years war quad which we have played on we have actually in fact had a tournament where the imperialists took on the Swedes and the the imperialists wiped out the the uh, the Swedes. Uh, in our in our game we've played it they're all great games they're fun they're they're reasonably well balanced they've got some fun tactical challenges i can read you the rules in 20 minutes and you'll be playing and having a good time and i struggled so hard to get those damn things um over the years that i will never they'll that goes with me forever i will always have that game uh ben hull's musket pike series uh god and glorious arms under the lily banners uh gustavus adolphus the great far far better games for understanding the 17th century frankly um the musket and pike series uh from our friends at hollenspiel hooray you mean you know, the horse that, and musket series? horse and musket forgive me horse and musket does a better Arnold's job to forgive you ask amabel to forgive you yeah that's true sorry amabel Sorry. Um, but yeah, a horse and musket, which has gone through that period in even a much more generalized way, closer to commands and colors, still uh, does a better job of giving you a toolbox to explore that period and its tactics. But no, I will always, always love the uh, that game. I, I guess the only one that I would say would come close, and I don't know is it's really replaced it. 
But trust me, you, I will always have my copy of Napoleon's Last Battles, the designer edition, that I love that game so much. I love the campaign game so much. I don't know if Kevin Zucker's uh, OSG games are that much better that I could honestly say it has killed them. Uh, They're better. They're prettier. The rules are more elaborated and they make a great deal of sense and they're incredible fun. But I don't don't know as they've gone as far as Ben did in killing the SPI quad uh, in terms of tactics in terms of representing the period. So that would that would be it. The SPI 30 years war quad detergent box. I, I don't know how much it's going for these days, but it used to be a freaking fortune. Yeah. I'm sure it still is a fortune. So Brian, what's something that you've got in your collection that you've hung on to despite there being newer, better, snazzier, cooler versions? Well, uh let's start with the Russian campaign by uh Avalon Hill. Yes, it's they, you know, there's a zillion strategic level uh, Russian front games. And this one is just, uh, it's easy. It's simple. And it, I think it does a great job of uh, portraying the war. So that's always there. I think I've talked to you about this brand Panzer Blitz. There's really not a whole lot like it that has come out since then. I mean, at that level, in that, you know, simplicity, where you can just, you know, use the three map boards to make all sorts of different, you know, other maps. So, yeah, so the, the closest you'll get, so the, the obvious answer is the Panzer Grenadier series from Avalanche Press, where that one significantly differs from the old Panzer Blitz series is the, the leader mechanic in Panzer Grenadier is, is an essential underlying component of, of that rules engine because it's the leader activations and the, the way in which you have to position your leaders on the battlefield for your activation chains to get as many things happening as once at once right. as possible. That's Panzer Grenadier is the obvious answer. The, the less obvious answer, but probably closer to the feel of Panzer Blitz and Panzer Leader in Arab Israeli Wars is the Nations at War series from Lock and Load, which is the the World War II adaptation of the World at War series. Um, so Nations at War again, you've got platoon scale counters, some individual specialty vehicles floating around out there. Um, but I think the Nations at War series is probably the closest you'll get to Panzer Blitz, the, the feel of Panzer Blitz in a more modern game. I will tell you, I've not played the remake of Panzer blitz that mmp has done but a couple of people that i trust very well have uh, you know I, I trust their judgment um they've played the implement the the new version of panzer blitz that mmp has put out and they say they 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 don't like it it does not feel like panzer blitz to them right um so that that's one that there there are platoon level tank focused games out there there just haven't been a ton of good ones and panzer grenadier isn't even necessarily a tank focused one it's a platoon level all in one sort of thing and uh, panzer grenadier has so much material even even ignoring all the crap they lock behind their little gold club doors uh just the stuff that you can buy off the shelf there is so much stuff for panzer are going to out there it's not quite to asl in its silliness but it's pretty damn close you're I mean, not lying i went when i first uh bought it i you know i went to the website i'm trying to figure out how to start off on this thing i had no freaking clue they had you know there's like 200 different modules and i'm like yeah. well is there something i should start off with <laughs> it was hard to find 
you know, well, what there, I was. There's like about. four actual self-contained starter boxes, and one of them they pulled out of circulation and said they're not gonna gonna bring back. Avalanche Press has a bad habit of making expansions of expansions of expansions, and in order to play this, you need these three other things, two of which aren't aren't even in the same theater, but you need like two units and one terrain piece from from that one completely separate game to play all the stuff in this one. Avalanche Press is really bad about that. But if you're a Panzer Grenadier completist, you've got it all already, right? It's the same thing with ASL. If you're an ASL completist, you've got it all already. So, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just say I, I, I realize this is not the conversation. I'm going to be judged badly by Brian here, but no, no, I uh, I I think that if you'd like a Panzer battle or blitz, and I love them both, we've talked many times about the fact that I somewhere on the shelf have enough to do the macro game. <laughs> Um, I, I love John Tiller's Panzer Battles, not, not the campaign series, the middle game between squad battles and Panzer Battle and, and campaigns, right? which is at the exact same scale as Panzer Battle and Panzer Blitz or Panzer, Panzer Leader and Panzer Blitz ex- explicitly for that reason. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it gives you the capacity to play the entirety of the Normandy campaign at that scale. Yeah. Which is, which is crazy. I don't right. recommend it. I don't recommend it because even yeah. with the automation, it takes forever, but the smaller scenarios are great. And I would, I would tell anyone. I said, let's before we did anything else. I mean, you want to play Panzer Leader with me tomorrow? I am there. Yeah, I, I want to be clear. I love it. I'll never not. Um, but if I were saying what's new and what's exciting, I I think they've sort of taken over the space. Really I, I will tell you the guys that thought they were going to take over the space, but quite frankly, it's it's an exercise in communal pain. And that <laughs> is any of the Death Ride series from Grognard Sims. Oh my God! <laughs> Come on now! Come on! Um, yeah, I mean, it's if you want to play Kursk at the platoon level, that's your game. Go with your bad self. <laughs> I I will be across the room watching you set up for the entirety of the convention and never actually fire a shot in anger. Um, good for you. Like, go do it. If that's your thing, go do it. Uh, have have fun. Save some tables for the rest of us because we're gonna need a couple of them at least. Um, but but Brian, to to your question in terms of sort of what came after Panzer Panzer Blitz Panzer Leader, um, Panzer Grenadier has tried to fill that niche and and quite frankly significantly exceeded it the rules are different enough that i don't think it's the same feel but that sort of lifestyle that panzer grenadier has turned into first of all kudos to avalanche press for creating something that's that sustainable like the panzer grenadier fan club is is nuts i mean they are they are hardcore fanatics and and good for you if you can build and inculcate that market for your games man that's that's really cool and really special and you should never apologize for having done that that's great. Um, if you're looking for something that feels like Panzer Blitz, I think the Nations at War series is where you go for that, personally. And again, I'm, I'm sure some folks reacting to this podcast will give us a couple of others. They'll, they'll rattle off some other ones that we should we should consider and look into. And that's cool. Like, share the info. I will tell you, the ones that... that are not leaving my hands and to the point where I've got multiple copies of several of them at this point, uh, the individual games, not the full sets, but, but mod quad one and two from SPI. Um, I, oh, yeah. anybody that's hung out with me for more than a half an hour knows I'm a huge fan of these games and, and will always love them and play them and want to play them and cherish them and hug them and squeeze them and call them George. I have, 
Uh, I grew up with Mod Quad 2 was one of the ones that, that my dad had in the house that we played a lot growing up. Mod Quad 1 I picked up later. Uh, the rules are similar enough that it, it doesn't take much to pick up from one to the other. There are some quirks in some of them that still frustrate me today, some of which were actually fixed by other contemporaneous games from that time. One of the, the problems of orders of battle and counter breakdowns in the mod quads was actually fixed in the fifth core series of games, the central <clears throat> series from uh, ST Magazine. But despite the decision games re-implementations, despite the S&T sort of mod quad three that they kind of sort of came up with between the Wurzburg and Budapest issue and then the later issue, or it was Wurzburg and, and uh, Kabul, and then they had Budapest and Angola in a later issue that put those two magazines together, you kind of have Mod Quad 3 right there. I will still always go back to the table for Modern Battles Quads 1 and 2. And, and love those games to death. Um, they're a ton of fun. They're easy to learn. Jim, like you said, those quad games, uh, you can teach the rules in 20 minutes and, and you're off and playing. And they had interesting scenarios in there that had a lot of dynamic situations that you really had to pay attention to. And, and I just had a lot of fun with those. And and so I, I don't care how good any newer stuff is, those are staying on my shelf um, or on my table, right? They're not staying on my shelf and not getting to the table. They're not leaving the house. So that's, that's definitely what I'm hanging on to. <laughs> all right brian you have a list of stuff oh yeah i'll run down some of the stuff here uh nine minutes left no i'm kidding <laughs> oh well first off i'm kind of in a war gaming malaise right now since i'm i'm not buying new war games pretty much i'm all the money's going towards my tiki bar so games haven't been coming in at the rate they have in the past but there are a few that have interested me uh the uh fall of saigon the uh, expansion to uh fire in the lake i just purchased i've never played any of these coin games and i guess i'm going to jump into the deep end by uh giving uh fire in the lake a uh, go here you're, you're a bad evil person <laughs> falling falling sky is the deep end but you're you're fine oh yeah, is falling it? sky is the he's right it, pendragon's close yeah pendragon and falling sky are both about there yeah i mean but compared to yeah you're falling sky uh fire in the lake is it, it certainly is not as simple and accessible as cuba libre but uh yeah. but you, you're you're not in the deep end you're fine you'll, you'll do oh. well Okay. Brian, I do have to ask a quick question. I, I, I need to back up a half a second. The 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 Trader Brian's Tiki Bar and Lounge it, and Rum Grotto. Is this one of those perpetual projects, or is there like an actual finish line endpoint that you have in mind? At which point you're going to say, "All right, good enough. I'm done. Let's open for business and you know start having war gamers over to to quaff some alcohol and play some games." Well, a Tiki Bar is never finished really uh, until the walls are completely filled with crap. So I'm I'm on a continuous journey to find, you know, new things to stick up, new shrunken heads to hang up, you know, stuff like that. So it, it is pretty much complete. I mean, I, we had our soft opening. I had a couple buddies over. They enjoyed it. They couldn't okay. believe what the hell they were seeing. They loved the drinks from the 1940s. So it's so going it's well. It's enough for me to invite myself up there from North Carolina. Absolutely. You always okay. have an open invitation. Gotcha. All right. I, just checking. I even uh, have a couch for you to crash on on it. With, with that, let's go back to the game talk. <laughs> Okay, so GMT Falls Saigon just came out, got that. I probably won't start off with that. I'll probably just play the base game, obviously, of Fire in the Lake before, you know, 
getting to that point. Plus, I have the Trung Solitaire bot. So excited about that as well. Uh, what else am I excited about from GMT? Oh, they're coming out with the American Revolution Tri-Pack that brings the th- uh, Monmouth, Germantown, and some other battle that... Sar- is Saratoga the one on the Tri-Pack? That's is, it the, is, it, is it Princeton? That's You're talking about the original Tri-Pack. This oh, is okay, new tri-pack. Oh, okay. So this basically is uh, three more games that weren't covered in the uh, first one. It's well, Monmouth, actually, Germantown, and Newtown. New there you go. It, it's amazing that we're all sitting in front of computers and none of us like load GMT's website to look it up, right? I mean, <laughs> our first one is to guess instead I'm of... I'm drinking. Uh, but you know what? I That, that Monmouth and Germantown were going for ridiculous prices on oh. uh, eBay. I, I was able to get the Newtown one. Uh, but the other ones were going for like a hundred bucks a piece. So I'm glad to see they're coming out with the tri-pack. Plus it's uh mounted boards as well, which is nice. Uh, let's see what else we got from GMT. Oh, they're, uh, Car driven game solo system came out. Purchased that. Haven't tried it yet. Based on Stuka Joe's uh, solo oh, yeah. system. Uh, they're also so that came out, but they're also coming out with another one that's going to uh, uh, be attached to five other games. So pretty nice. Uh, right now, I'm teaching myself how to play Pass of Glory. I know, been out for what a hundred years, and I've <laughs> never got never got around to it. So the past yeah, yeah, few days, I've been uh, going through the rules. Plus, it'll be compatible with the uh, uh, solo system. So, I'll come over to your house, bust out the center strategy, and get you mad at me. Oh, well, I have the uh, what is it? The uh, player's guide, so I'll be prepared. Uh, There's a. It is alleged. I've tried it twice, and I would say it's. I was a hundred percent and seventy five percent. But there is actually on the older board. Well, you got the new edition, yeah. I have two editions. I have the older edition and the newer one. Yes, I got to take a look at the newer edition because there's a ge- there's a quirk of geography that works as a bit of a cheat for the uh, the central powers. In the newer one or the older one? The older one. The older one. Okay. Okay. Uh, actually, the map board, it, the new uh, mountain map board, has a new style map on the one side and the old Ooh. style on the other. So, oh, well, all right. Maybe nifty. they've got to check that out. Pretty nifty. Uh, Compass Games, the game that has me most intrigued, Death in the Trenches. I don't know if you guys saw this. Yep, a yep. Gr- grand strategic scale. It's it's supposedly a remake, but I never heard about the first one when it came out. That, that's that got me intrigued. A lot of what ifs in the game. You know, countries could, you know, go for the allies or the uh, central powers. You don't know. Seems very interesting. What else we got? Napoleon Eagles 2, a card yep. game. Yep. Now, Jim, did you play the car- the uh, first one? Sure did. What did you think? Ah, it's a it's a good light card game. Didn't hate it. It's got it's got better, richer tactical choices than a lot of things like Eagles did. Um, I enjoyed it. It was and the thing I gave them a lot of respect about, and they since turned their back on me, even after I praised them on this very podcast, was they picked unusual battles. You know, they didn't come out of the gate with Waterloo, right? Right. Well, that's they, what's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So what did they do? I praised them, and they do this. Um, I I like the fact that they went to another part of the campaigns. I was hoping we might get something in 1809, but apparently that was too much to ask. Um, But no, I I enjoyed it. I really did. I did not get two. I will say that. But that's more a function of just bandwidth than anything. I I, I certainly would would pick if I saw it. It's it's something that I could easily see being an impulse purchase under the right circumstances. Yeah. So, audience, keep in mind, Jim's the guy that would go to the Eagles concert and be mad that they played Life in the Fast Lane instead of King of Hollywood. (laughs) Right. Right. I I didn't know we had gone to a concert together. (laughs) 
I'm not wrong. I didn't say I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. That that, that uh, Napoleon's Eagles, I actually, it's one of those games I accidentally bought two of. I'm not oh. even sure how the hell I do it. I got two on my shelf. I'm not sure what happened. I must have bought one on the Kickstarter, forgot about it, and then bought another for somewhere else. But that happens. You've um, made worse choices. Yeah. Uh, I've had occasions where I ended up with duplicates of a game because I bought one and ended up with one as a gift or a view copy or something else. I've I've ended up with multiples of things unintentionally that way as well. Yeah. Um, the the only duplicate purchase that I can think of over the last two decades at this point is I do have two copies of City Fight because I have one that someone sent me and I have the other one that I picked up from Ardwolf, but they're both beat to hell. And I think between the two, I might have one complete actual <laughs> full set, um, sure. but but I had to buy two to make sure that I could completely mash them together and end up with one actual finished product. That's uh, w- Victory Games NATO. I have like three copies of it and none of them are good. But <laughs> I think if you probably I have if... one intact copy and two exactly. boxes of spare parts. What else we got here? Uh, PC gaming, Grand Tactician, the uh, Civil War opus. The, once again, it's a great game at the tactical level. You go to the strategic level, the AI is still just utter garbage. Uh, the Confederates are doing seaborne invasions on New Jersey. It, yeah. It's it's a freaking wreck. Let me uh, uh, let me take a quick peek here. Oh yeah, no multiplayer, guys, knock it off. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. Yeah, but it, at the tactical level, you know, the battles themselves, the AI is pretty decent. So we're hoping that the strategic level AI catches up. Not there a whole is, lot of hope for that, but we'll see. There is there is zero reason to not play Scourge of War at this point. I'll agree well, with that. Scourge of not War is owning I mean, it is the reason. Uh, well, here's here's I, I I still don't know the story because it was a it was an absolute fire drill out of Matrix Games saying, uh, okay, we're taking all the. Uh, scourge war games out of the steam store and out of the matrix store so if you want to get them better get them now quickly 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 and like, what what are you talking about yeah so they clearly cut the cord with uh those folks but uh yeah scourge of war is still entirely grand tacticians better on the tactical level you want to play gettysburg at the brigade level that's where you should go yeah, yeah i would i would agree at the grand tacticians getting pretty close it's not there yet uh the only the scourge games the biggest problem i have is it can be very finicky and uh as far as you know you want you want unit a to go to place over here trying to get them there sometimes is a little difficult uh but that's kind of the charm of the game i think they kind of intended that (laughs) (laughs) it's that's part of it it's a feature not a bug (laughs) yeah exactly uh what else we got here Oh, I I played Decisive Campaigns Barbarossa based on Jim's recommendation, I believe. Yes, and I won. Uh, I played nice. as the German. I played I, as the German. I'll, I'll, I'll confess this because I often do complain about AI better than I've ever done. Well done. Oh, it, the AI is very impressive. Uh, I was very impressed with the game overall. The only part that I had a little uh, difficulty with was trying to, because you're actually making some strategic decisions, oh, yes. not not just you know on as far as the uh combat goes but you know actual decisions what do you do with pow's stuff like that so very interesting i enjoyed it i give the uh new uh battle of the bulge one they got out give that a go here uh coming up 
really good. Uh, Victoria three. Okay. I, oh, boy. I'm not sure how go- you guys are up on the whole uh, thing about combat in the game. What so are your, what are Saturday your night fights? Saturday night fights are our fight on uh, not next Saturday. Cause we're playing Borodino, but Saturday after that, we're going to have dueling spreadsheets. So you should come play. <laughs> I, I'm going to sit in the corner and laugh at you guys. <laughs> I I'm, I'm going to say my column, my column B has more buffs than your column C. I win. Yeah. Get out of here with all that stuff. So I guess you're not you're not a big uh, fan of this new combat system. No, no. So uh, uh, explain it to me because I'm not 100 percent up to date on what's happening here. It's it's what it's going to come down to. To me, it's a classic case of they're trying to learn from the Total War systems. And by I say learn, just try to ape on what they do. And it's going to pull far more from the technological advancements that you have than it does about any sort of tactical reality on the ground of where your troops are. Oh. I... I, I, I want to be a little careful because I've only seen a couple of videos and I've only read a few articles about it. But um, honestly, of all the games, other than, of course, March of Eagles, which is probably never going to be redone. Right. This is this is the one that I was looking the most forward to. And boy, am I, I, I let me put it this way. I'm deeply skeptical. You don't think they might make changes before re- release as far oh, as, uh, of co- you know, and that's why I say I, I have to be circumspect because, of course, they will. Right. I mean, they're going to get it. I think they're going to take some of this into play test and get laughed at. Right. Or they might just wait, you know, for an expansion. <laughs> well, no, but that's look, look, and I'm more than willing. Look, I, I still say Europa Universalis 2 is one of the greatest games ever designed. Um, and I'll and I will defend this, but it didn't become that for many months. Right. You know, and I'm sure Victoria will be quite the same. If you expect a paradox game to work as it will out of the box, the same way it does a year later, you're playing the wrong game. You just aren't. This is true. Well, I, I, I'm not sure they will fix it though. Here's the you know, Hearts of Iron Four. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They have forever. None of the Hearts of Iron games have been able to get the Pacific War right, or even close. You know, to being right something historical so you know you would think somebody like me would be jumping all over like hearts of iron i just can't bring myself to it because i just watch replay after replay where there's it just doesn't make sense what happens out in the pacific so they haven't fixed that yet who knows if they ever will i don't know we'll see uh what else we got oh the packers lost jim oh oh hey Hey, apparently Matt LaFleur has decided that the first game of the season cannot go well. That's apparently a rule. Although I will say, give me one pass caught that Aaron Rodgers laid in the breadbasket and let me get a fourth and one conversion that we absolutely should have had. Different game, but uh, that's why we play them. We don't play them on paper. (laughs) This is true. Uh, the Steelers did win. With the biscuit. The biscuit rises. Despite the biscuit, they were able to. <laughs> Come on now. Tim, some of these guys do play this game on paper. Um, well, that's true. That's true. And actually, they these are role-playing. These are role-players desperate to get into a sport. But, um, no, I I, uh, I, I, as as a longtime uh, nemesis of the Chicago Bears, Having him have a successful season in Pittsburgh while the Bears go down in flame, which they inevitably will when it isn't torrentially pouring rain at Soldier Field, couldn't be a better feeling. <laughs> well, the biscuit, Mitch Trubisky, we're talking about, by the way. He, 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 when I watched him play, he looked just like he did at Chicago. He doesn't see the field 
downfield no. No, very right. good at all and when he does throw the ball it's not the most accurate ball you'll see no well you know it's it's funny people talk about you know they look and they they see what Aaron Rodgers gets paid and what some of these other guys get paid that are elite and they say what are you paying them for it's like they're a doing something that makes billions of dollars and so they're getting a cut but b they're doing something that only a handful of humans can do it's, yes you're damn hard to do yeah exactly yeah. right you know, and and yes, the other quarterbacks below the Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, some of these others below that level, they're good. They're certainly far better than I've ever been. <laughs> but but guys like Rodgers and Watson and Brady, they're superhuman freaks. Yep. And I commend to people, if you've ever never had a chance to see it, it was on the night of the NFL draft, the very day that NFL Roger, that NFL did not pick Aaron Rodgers until the 24th round. Mm. Watch Not this the video. 24th round. The 24th, the 24th spot, sorry. Yeah, yeah, 24th pick. Thank you. In the 24th pick, first round. Watch, the, watch this thing that they do. It's a little thing. They're in New York. They're in front of Radio City Music Hall. And they put a tire up on the sign in front of Radio City Music Hall. And they gave Aaron Rodgers a freaking football. And they said, could you throw it through there? And he's at the street level. And he fires this thing on a rope <laughs> through that thing. Yeah. And I went, try that sometime. Yeah. And I'm saying maybe you don't value that. I understand if you don't, but many people do. And these are very, very special people at camp. Yep. Yeah, the, the great humor for me is watching Mitch Trubisky attempt to be the first UNC quarterback to be remotely successful in the NFL because most of my football allegiance is down at the college level. And, and there was one week where the NFL had five starting quarterbacks from NC State in the same week. UNC yeah. has had one starting quarterback in their history play <laughs> in the NFL. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, you know, that's just – yeah, NC State has a long and proud tradition of college football mediocrity that ah. goes back well over a hundred years. And uh, but but to be able to watch somebody like Trubisky, you know, face plant as as the shining star to come from from uh, from UNC uh, just makes us NC State guys because like we're we are genetically bred to be bitter about all things UNC. Like that's just in our blood. So so the fact that we can sort of laugh at that. Um, it is a nice touch. I've watched everything, everywhere, all the time based on Jim's recommendation. And my brain hurt at the end of it. It, <laughs> it is. Have you seen it, Brant? I have not yet. It, it is worth seeing. It, your brain will hurt as well. Uh, it, it made me delve into the question. Is Korean cinema at this point better than American cinema? Answer Let's yes. Discuss. Dude, there are high school drama departments that are better than American cinema at this point. Yeah, I mean, here, look, here. can you imagine picking, pitching that movie in Hollywood? Well, I thought the most impressive part no, of the movie not was a this... remake of a current something else. Well, right. not just that. I'm going to put a middle-aged Asian woman and make her not just the central character, but at times seemingly all the characters. <laughs> and well, and I don't and I don't care if she is the goddess that is Michelle Yeoh. Who buys that in Hollywood? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thought that somebody came up with this screenplay just boggles my mind. Yep. I mean... I, 
it's worth seeing, definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't know if any run into with Hollywood, Jim. To your point, is they want to spend eighty million and make a hundred million. They're not willing to spend five million to make forty million. Correct. Right. That's right. Because forty million is considered a failure because you didn't make a hundred million. It doesn't matter that it's eight hundred percent return on what you spent on it. It's not. It's not a hundred million dollar movie. And so, why would we bother? So. That's- well, you know, my stepson, uh, who's 19 years old, he uh, he realizes how garbage media is for the most part uh, these days. And he's like, I really would like if they just took a five-year hiatus of doing anything. Movies, music, just stop for five years and come back when you got a good idea, you know? Yeah. So, And just for the record... Everything, everywhere, all at once on a budget of 18 has made over 100. It did make over 100. Good. Yep. You know, and and deservedly so. I mean, it, 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 look, and I think no matter what you think of it, Brian can attest, this is a movie that took risks. Oh, no doubt. You know, in terms of narrative, well, in terms of everything. So, no, I, I, I love it, love it, love it. We still have googly eyes. We took googly eyes to Europe just in case. Which it brings me to my next point I have here. You just went, you just went to Europe, okay? I did, I did. Did you actually do any... You didn't go to a battlefield, I don't think, though, did you? I did not. Uh, only technically. I went... To, I found the monument at Montmartre where the last resistance to the Allied invasion of Paris in 1814 occurred. Well, there you go. That's as close <laughs> as I got. <laughs> but I'm definitely going to have to... I plan on doing some travel to Europe in the future, and I'm definitely going to have to pick your brain as far as... Uh, obviously I lived there, what, 20 years ago when I was in the army, I plan on visiting in about next five years. And so I'm going to need some advice and what I should bring, you know, just typical stuff like that. Maybe your wife, you put me in touch with your wife as far as that. Yeah, that's, 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 you know, she, she found us such a very, very special place in Paris. Um, the hotel, I I would recommend the hotel in a, in a minute to anyone that was interested in staying somewhere, 15 rooms right near the Eiffel Tower, right near the Invalides, so we could just walk right over and view the one of the largest collection. I think it is the largest collection of Napoleonica in the world. It, it's it, it was a museum. I mean, they have Napoleon himself out back. Well, they, that's a fair point. The piece de resistance is the man himself in a tomb. Um, but he's the, there. Uh, he, he's, there he is. But the probably the the biggest takeaway from from all that stuff was just you know just being able to it was going through that museum and saying oh that's where that is you know it was it was so much Napoleonica that all this stuff I've seen all these years it's all there I mean yeah. seemingly all of it so paintings so, weapons swords uh, armor oh my gosh it was so, so great so two comments on that one Jim even without a single battlefield visit under your belt for this trip I think if you average out the last 15 years of trips you're still averaging something like 64 battlefields per vacation it seems that way it seems that way so i i i don't know as you know skipping one summer in europe not getting a battlefield that you really missed all that much um when so summer of 84 when we were living in Europe, dad was stationed in Europe. We had the good fortune at the time to be stationed in Garmisch at what was then called the U.S. Army Russian Institute. It is now where the Marshall Center is, the Marshall Center for something, something in security cooperation. I don't remember exactly what it all is. One of the things that you used to be able to to arrange, you could like, you know, get in touch with people that were stationed in other places. And there was like a 
a mailing list you could get on for this. But basically, you would do apartment swaps with people. And mm-hmm. so if you wanted to go somewhere and go check out that town, th- there was like this mailing list you could get on for folks over in Europe and, and you could trade places with them. The the challenge there, of course, like if you're stationed in Gießen, right? If you're stationed in Vilsack, nobody wants to go to Vilsack. We were stationed in Garmisch. We were stationed in a ski resort in the Alps where one of the Olympic Games was held in the 1920s. People want to go there. So we I was going to say, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth. Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. I, you know, if, if I could get a job as the director of wargaming for the Marshall Center, I would be gone tomorrow. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would bother to pack. I would just leave. <laughs> gone. Like, I, I'm there. So when you're in Garmisch, like, you can find people to trade apartments with you from Garmisch. We, one of the embassy staffers in Paris traded places with us. And, and Jim, you were just there this year, so you will appreciate the location of this. If you stand under the Eiffel Tower and look at the Palais de Chaillot across the street, hang a hang a 90-degree right turn to your 3 o'clock position, and there's a street of a of low, like two-story apartments right across the street from the park that the Eiffel Tower is in. We were in one of those. Nice. We we were on the second floor where you had to, when you're out on the balcony, you had to lean over to see the top of the Eiffel Tower because the roof was in the way. That's how close you were to the Eiffel Tower and, and could walk to the Invalides from there. We got to do 10 days in Paris in someone else's apartment right there next to the Eiffel Tower, which is pretty damn cool. <laughs> and of course, you know, like, you're in sixth grade. You don't appreciate quite how cool it is at the time. Right. Looking back on it, that was really damn cool. <laughs> yeah. So that that was some fun. It, it, gents, we're we're pushing, you know, two hours, almost almost two hours here at this point. Um, I know we uh, we came in with a reader suggested topic. Brian always comes prepared with a list of stuff to talk about. Jim, was there something you wanted to have a conversation about at all in the last 10 minutes or so that we've got here? Uh, I guess I guess my big thing would be uh, we're I think we're rolling along very nicely online. I, I'm enjoying exploring rule sets. Uh, we talked a little bit about Crossfire and some of the misunderstandings people have about it and people coming to understandings. But uh, one of the really, really neat things has been finding by ones and twos people who have come out and said, hey, I've always wanted to try that rule set, but never could find anybody to play it with. Can I play it? Can I do that? Uh, I guess the, the one big mind blower for me uh we i we have played on the various channels um various events all through armchair dragoons a, a lot of different tactical world war one games but particularly crossfire more recently in chain of command it was kind of on a lark that i picked up spearhead and started designing games for what is a divisional level rule set i am not a modernist. I, I'm interested in World War II. I think like a lot of folks in my generation are just because it was in the air because our grandfathers were still alive and all that stuff. It is a serious, it feels like, and I, I tweeted this, when you're designing a divisional level game that when you've been playing tactical World War II, you were playing World War II with the training wheels on. Okay. That when you add the divisional supports, when you see the regimental structure, the whole of it, when you have to lift your eyes from and this is something Dr. Sterrett and I talked about years ago. When you have to lift your eyes from, wait a minute, I got to get the nose of my tank right around this corner so I can shoot that guy. And you've got to suddenly look at the whole battlefield. It's for someone like me who, you know, breathes John Elting's swords around a throne and things like that and logistics of Napoleonics. It's a serious mind screw. So, Jim, I'll tell you, the, the thing that is coming to mind 
to hear you as the as, as you're describing the way in which you're describing this of sort of getting your head above the clouds and looking around a little bit. This sounds an awful lot like the discussion of 90% of the dudes out there playing Napoleonics and the guys that are being introduced for the first time to Essence Russell Top. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think also it's there's a lot of I've been trying, and we are firing up a Kriegspiel, as as the folks who are over. We're just, we're very, very shortly going to fire up an 1807 Kriegspiel. Final orders coming in. Gentlemen, if you're listening, orders in, please. Um, (laughs) You know, we're just getting ready to fire that up. And it's some of the things that people comment about when they say, oh, I played Napoleonic this way. I never thought about it this way. Yeah, I think it's a lot of that. That sense of dislocation, that sense of, holy cow, that's a huge deal. Um, You know, the, the, the one piece is suddenly artillery for just taking one small example, isn't just an abstraction that magically appears on a die roll of five or six. Now it's something that you have to locate, schedule, and, you know, and and keep sighted so it doesn't drop right on top of you. Um, it's a neat experience. It, it is something that I'm learning a lot from, and we're definitely, I, I certainly, and I know the crew is looking forward to getting Spearhead out of the table soon. Well, cool. It will be fun to see what you guys come up with there on the video. Gents, thank you. I'm going to have a field day trying to edit all this together. <laughs> we wish you well. This, this ought to be entertaining. But I do appreciate the, the time you take. Brian, we make fun of you, but I do appreciate the diligence with which you show up and, and actually have something prepared to talk about other than just, yeah, let's talk about some games and wing it. Put me in, coach. Put me in. Yeah. He's, he's the overly prepared backup quarterback who doesn't just hold the clipboard but actually pays attention to what's on it. So... It's uh, it's refreshing. So, Brian, thank you very much. Appreciate you being able to jump on here and uh, and have a chat. And Jim, thank you very much. We're absolutely going to have you back later in the season because we have some traditions to uphold in our fall season. At some point, we will have a compass catalog arrive in people's oh, mailboxes, uh, <laughs> which we spend two hours on at least uh, every every fall. We, uh, we we go through this in excruciating detail. At some point, we're going to have to do something comparable for GMT just to cover like the GMT sales or something to that effect uh, with with what GMT does. Uh, but also at you know somewhere this fall, the Charlies are going to come out, and and there will be mandatory griping and complaining about those as well did uh did we officially announce on on air and acknowledge the death of mystery wizard uh yeah i think we did last season okay just make it sure i think we did did as as much as i have hollered and fussed uh, i wish to note the passing from gmt of mystery wizard so here's the question with the passing of mystery wizard at gmt does that actually get Legrand grand battles any closer to getting published i have no <laughs> sense of that is the case <laughs> because i have zero sense of that yeah no yeah, it's, it, because while mystery wizard was sort of the exemplar of things getting in the way of stuff you wanted published i never really got the sense that they were all that well coupled together and that removing mystery wizard didn't necessarily move the grand battles any closer to getting done yeah i i think that that is a very fair statement so yeah so it is unfortunate however i think it is still accurate <laughs> yeah nope nope i i i i would be a fool to say other their website is still running mystery wizards but when you click now available for pre-order you get a server error so it's done. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of like that. I really do. <laughs> 
they they did announce it in a GMT update, and I believe we we discussed it at some point on one of the podcasts. I know we had brought it up on uh, I, I we might have brought it up on one of Gary's shows also. So the 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 yeah the passing there. So just just noting it in as as we as we quietly walk by, I will confess I'm smiling. <laughs> just a little just, just a little. tiny bit all right so audience uh thank you for joining us on this mad camp romp through the world of wargaming and uh and and thank you for being here with us uh still got some interesting stuff coming up later this season we're going to talk some crowdfunding and kickstarters we are still going to have uh much like our podcast episode a few years ago about dice we're going to spend a whole a whole episode talking about accessories at some point. And so that'll be kind of fun. Jim has actually had the proud owner of one of my favorite accessories that I thought was dumb as hell when I first saw it until Jim pulled it out and put it on the map. And I'm like, oh, that's genius. And that was the line of sight lasers that the lock and load was selling some years ago. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, Jim Jim was walking around all of origin checking line of sight to everything, right? What's the line of sight between you? <laughs> a total knob about it. I won't lie. You should see my 1950s card shuffler. <laughs> I got one of those too, man. It's, it's hand crank or battery powered. Hand cranked. All right, that is that is quite awesome. And uh, and and you know the aforementioned compass catalog episode and Charlie Awards episodes uh, will absolutely happen as well. So. Uh, on behalf of the Dragoons audience, thank you for listening and joining us here, and we will catch you next time on another episode of Mentioning Dispatches.